entering the Freedom Hut. Social media tyrants declare all-out election war. General Flynn's trial is finally over. CCP influence operations targeted Congressman Swalwell. And where is the COVID restaurant data? This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Now it is official. I have been telling you for days about the way they are constricting, like the, like the tyrannical snake they are, constricting around free speech, eroding and and squeezing beyond recognition the First Amendment and doing so in the most pernicious of ways. And here we are now with the official declaration from YouTube, which you have to understand YouTube is owned by Google and it has a parent company, a company known as Alphabet. And this is the most powerful Internet company in the world. That's actually even more powerful than Facebook or Twitter or any of the others. The only thing that comes close to it really is Amazon. Uh, but you, but Google is effectively an Internet monopolist. They can demonetize you on YouTube. Sure, they've already done that to me, uh, but they also can make sure that you are dropped down in search results. They can decide what is seen about you and what is not seen about you. Enormous amounts of power. And not only is this a private company that led the American people and led the regulators in D.C., led Congress to believe for a long time that it was effectively a a neutral algorithm based Internet search and communications company. I mean, it does a lot of things, right? Your Gmail, your Google searches. I can't even name all the things that Google's involved in right now. But they've let you know because they've put out on YouTube while we're still trying to figure out what's going on in this election. There are lawsuits currently out there in court that are making certain declarations. If you say that you support those lawsuits, that you think they have merit, that you think they're true, you run the risk of being canceled. And this is not theoretical. This is not a conspiracy official statement coming out from YouTube this morning. Uh, We just shared an update on YouTube election efforts, including how we're handling community guidelines. Our policies, this this is a quote from official YouTube public, uh, public affairs. Our policies disallow content alleging widespread uh, fraud or errors change the outcome of a historical U.S. presidential election. We allow this type of commentary for current elections as election officials work to finalize counts. December 8th was the safe harbor deadline for the U.S. presidential election, and enough states have now certified their results to determine a president-elect. As such, starting today, we will remove new content uploaded on or after December 9th, 2020, alleging that widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of the U.S. presidential election. For example... We will remove videos claiming that a presidential candidate won the election as a result of widespread software glitches or counting errors. This 
content that includes sufficient uh, context may remain similar to how we allow COVID information uh, that is sufficient with ESDA content, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. If you say that this election was stolen now on YouTube, you will get your content pulled down. You will be demonetized. Now, you may think, and this this is a, a big problem we have. So much of conservative media, we have these places we go. We have these areas where we think, okay, at least there's some there's some safety there. Talk radio is really the, the ultimate example of that. We still we use the really the oldest method of mass communication short of the printing press in existence to great effect. And we have one cable channel. I know there are a couple of others, but they're not in the distribution that they need to be in, in 100 million homes to compete. Uh, we have one major cable channel, and that's it. And a lot of you I know are, I, I've seen your notes, I've seen your messages about what's going on over there. So I'm aware of your thoughts on that. And the rest of the media ecosystem, which determines what people are reading in the news, what people think is going on in the country, how dangerous is COVID? You have no way of knowing. The only way you could know is by reading media uh, outlets. The only way you can actually get a real sense of this nationwide is newspapers, websites, TV, radio, etc. That's true of all of us. This is the flow of information, which means it is our mass perception in the public of what's happening in this country. And the most powerful companies involved in that are straight up saying Biden won. It's over. Shut up or we'll come after you. They're straight up saying it. And if you think that this that that there are some people that are going to withstand this with their websites or withstand this and and, you know, continue on as is, at least on these platforms, I got to tell you something. It's not going to happen because they will do this. They can demonetize. YouTube doesn't need conservative creators, doesn't need them, doesn't care. Same thing with Twitter. They don't need you. They don't need us. Very, very wealthy companies that can withstand this. So what happens is also other companies that rely on Google for their ads, other media organizations that have you know enormous budgets and have a lot of payroll to meet, they're going to start falling in line. This is like a dictate from on high. This is essentially the left-wing controlled internet telling you it's over, shut up, you're not allowed to talk about this anymore. If you do, we'll hit you. And then what happens is they don't hit the people that go along with it. And everyone forgets, why is this person growing so fast online? You don't think that people are cutting side deals with these companies? You don't think that there's controlled opposition that are so-called conservatives who are basically never Trumpers, but they make deals with these Internet companies so that they don't get touched? You can see who's upset about this and who still profits. Who still grows and has no problem here? Who's getting throttled and who's not? Oh, yes, there's money here. There's influence. There's prestige. There's a lot at stake for people. So watch very closely who speaks out about this and who just has the follower count keep going up and up. Who's just minting money while being a conservative? That's the game. This is how they run the most effective influence operation imaginable on a massive scale. This is how the this is how the left wins. This is how they win. I don't have an answer. I have a rallying cry that we fight, that we talk about it, that we 
raise the alarm, that we demand the repeal of Section 230. People say it won't do. It's not perfect. Well, this is awful what we have right now. But I mean, the the advantage, the Internet monopolists. Yeah, maybe they'll have a competitor 10 years from now. What do you think the country looks like in 10 years if you can't say things that you believe to be true on the Internet? And remember, the creators that they go after, the content creators and, and the, the pundits and the commentators and the, you know, the, the reporters, uh, they, all they have to do is shut them down. And then how do, how do people that are trying to you know, operate, operate at their jobs that aren't in the media, how do they get the information they need to know what's really going on? You know where they get it from? The websites that aren't throttled. The websites that aren't shadow banned. The people who are all of a sudden having all their stuff shared freely. We had just begun to go toe-to-toe with the left-wing mainstream media apparatus the last, really the last 10 years or so. Because people realize that half the country wasn't being properly served. I mean, there's a reason that Fox News is a ratings juggernaut. And there's a reason that even though there's a tremendous amount of money to be made in conservative media there's always these hurdles. You can't get the right sponsors. Uh, you know, if, if you're a major corporation, you won't go with them, right? That They won't do that for you. You can't get Mercedes-Benz if you're a cable news channel. They have all of the, on the right, on the left, you can be lunatic MSNBC and, you know, Amazon will sponsor you and all this. These are all of the impediments. So you want to know why a party like the Democrats who are for defunding police, socialism, abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy, toxic identity politics, open borders. You want to know how they're able to say that they now won the election because of what I'm telling you. This is how they win. We have to fight against this. We have to understand these mechanisms. I, I know there are people out there who want to say, oh, but, you know, there's someone in the administration, in the Trump administration. And, you know, now this is 8D chess and we're going to no. I'm telling you, that's not true. They think they've got us. They think they've got us. You're going to see a drop off. You're going to see people all of a sudden there'll they'll be this this focus on on other things, palatable stories for the right. But not digging in on, I mean, I, I, you know, I dig in on COVID as hard as I dig it on the election stuff. We're completely being, being bamboozled. We're having the wool pulled over our eyes as a nation. People are losing their livelihoods. They're going bankrupt. Their lives are being ruined. And they're not going to be fixed in 90 days when the vaccine starts to hit critical mass. They're not going to be, they're not, lives aren't going to be fixed. They're not going to be made whole. So th- that has to, that debate, that argument, that stopping the madness has to happen now they're shutting it all down i'm trying to come up with better answers i know there are these platforms but they're nascent platforms there are alternatives the trump administration still has the power of the executive branch maybe there are ways that they could use it to some effect in the meantime i know they're focused in on what's really happening with this election but keep in mind now the the people around the administration who are trying to get the word out who are trying to talk about, and they do it by keyword now. So if you talk about, let's say, suitcases and Georgia, you are targeted. And there are people who build their whole businesses on this. Google can destroy, name a website that, that is a, a favorite conservative website of yours, with the possible exception of foxnews.com. Google can basically destroy them. Cut off their ads, drop them down in search. Facebook, the same thing, can destroy them. 
when I worked for a website years ago, the tr- Facebook traffic uh, that we were that was taken away from the site when they changed the algorithm was catastrophic, led to a lot of layoffs. This is real power and it's power to determine the conversation. It's power to tell you what you can say and to tell you what you'll see and what you'll know. The Internet was initially this free and open playing field for ideas, for communications. That's that's what it was. That was the promise of it. I'm going back now to the 90s, you know, to the, the CompuServe and AOL era, right? The Internet was this this place that put us all in connection with each other, but also gave you access to this repository that was endless of ideas and information and facts. And and now the left, because they are collectivists and because they are inherently totalitarian in their mindset because they think that they have all the absolute answers and no one else can have alternative answers. Uh, Now they want to use what was the greatest, the greatest apparatus for the spread of information and the increase of communications. They are using it now in a way really similar to China to control your mind. You don't think that's what's happening. They are programming you. They're they're showing you what you can see. They're showing you what you can read. And anyone who tries to get in and tell you, hold on a second, that's not the truth. They shut that person down. They make them obscure. They make it so that they can't get followers. They can't pay their bills. Maybe they got to find a new job, a new industry. Maybe they got to learn to code, go work for Google. I know for for the right, for conservatives, we're generally just culturally in our media tastes we're not as as tech involved you know somehow we don't have a single major and all props in respect to parlor and rumble i'm not i'm on them i use them they're great but we don't have a single major critical mass social media platform that never mind is right wing that is devoted to the ideals of free speech for those of you who are saying you want to, you know, you want to go listen to like some local radio guy right now. It's like, well, you know, we're going to win and we're we're going to win and just yelling all this stuff. Let me tell you, we're not going to win if this continues. We cannot beat this machinery's message unless we attack the machinery itself. You want to see how this election fight goes and want to be able to win the election fights that will come after it. We must address this problem. It is essential. And, I, and, and it doesn't matter if you're on Twitter or Facebook or these things. It's the most powerful tool for controlling the conversation nationally that exists, bar none. No question. And it has been now weaponized officially against Trump, against his supporters. We are, we are in COVID lockdown, and now we are in election information lockdown. Doesn't really feel like America, does it? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember Russia collusion? This was a a truly bizarre, deranged, evidence-free theory that the Trump campaign and then Donald Trump himself worked with the Russians to somehow steal the 2016 election. This was treated as gospel by the mainstream media for three years. I mean, they still do now, but this was something they continued on. Pretending was true. Was there any effort ever to penalize people online for the lies of Russia collusion? Has any scrubbing of 
social media accounts or websites occurred where they said, you know what? Sorry, that was all a lie. And that was used as a political weapon to undermine the sitting president, President Donald J. Trump. Was there any of that? No. But now that they think the power is transferring to their hands, in fact, they're ensuring the power will transfer into their hands with moves like this. Now they're going to want to use it and they want to engage in reprisals. They're looking to make examples of people, too. And they pretend that this is around some principle. I mean, why aren't we having these social media CEOs sit before the American people and explain how Russia collusion is not something that was ever throttled, banned, shadow banned, shut down, demonetized, never led to any of that, even though it was all lies. CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The L.A. Times, go down the list, PBS, all these different channels and stations. Just full of insane lies about Russia collusion. Oh, any day now. Oh, you know, Rachel Maddow built a huge audience at MSNBC lying to them like a bunch of idiots about how Trump was a Russian Kremlin asset. Never apologized for it, never penalized for it. So I want us to understand what the new rules are. They can lie about the president, the sitting president. They can call him a traitor. They can call him a criminal. They can call him anything they want. And they can use the media ecosystem as an echo chamber so they convince enough foolish Americans that this is actually true. But on the other side, for real questions like what are we doing on covid And what happened to this election? They shut it down. So not only will they prevent us from getting answers, they use that same information control, that same apparatus of propaganda to lie to our very faces. They say they're doing this to prevent lying and to protect facts and and accuracy until they all have to be held to account for Russia collusion. This is a farce. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now for some good news, although in a way it's also troubling that it came to this. I told you that General Flynn was pardoned by the president. You no doubt have seen or heard that a lot of places. It was pretty big news when it happened. And in response to that, you had Judge Emmett Sullivan produce a 34-page uh, opinion from the, from the federal bench that shows you what final-stage Trump derangement syndrome looks like. General Flynn is an innocent man. They ruined this guy, and they used the law to settle political scores against him. They ruined this guy, or tried to, based on lies, deception, the destruction of his constitutional rights. It was all politicized. It was a partisan hit. That's what they did to General Flynn. We all know it. This is very clear. But it took a pardon from the president of the United States to get a federal judge to stop going after him. And then he wrote a 34 page uh, 34 page opinion from the bench where he talked about how Flynn is guilty and the administration shouldn't have done this. And this is, you know, yes, they have the power, but this is a miscarriage of justice like a lunatic. He continued a prosecution by judge 
after the Department of Justice, which is the prosecutorial arm of the federal government, dropped the case and told him we never should have brought this case. But he thinks he's respecting the system by trashing it because he doesn't like a decision that they made. It was their decision. What is this guy doing? Yes, General Flynn is no longer in criminal jeopardy and he has been officially pardoned. But we also need to know that Judge Emmett Sullivan is a Trump deranged lunatic and he should be. And I mean this removed from the federal bench and disbarred forthwith right away. That's what should happen. This guy is scary. Do you think if if you're a person known in public life as a conservative, as a Trump supporter, do you think that you could get a fair trial in Judge Emmett Sullivan's courtroom? This guy's a federal circuit judge in D.C. It's a pretty big deal. You think you get a fair trial? Absolutely not. This guy's a disgrace, a disgrace to the judiciary. But he shows you what we're up against. This this was unheard of. When the when the DOJ says the judge doesn't get to pick somebody, does a judge get to say, you know what? I don't like this guy. I'm going to bring him into my courtroom and prosecute him. It's basically what they did to Judge Sullivan. I mean, to uh, to General Flynn. Completely insane. But I'm very uh, so. So it's good that General Flynn is no longer in criminal jeopardy, but they dragged him through four years of this madness Four. Years of this insanity. For what? For what? To make an example of him. And unfortunately, that still stands. Do do you think that now people might have second thoughts, especially to support Trump if he's leaving that Oval Office in January, which, you know, I'll leave it to you. I'll leave the percentages to you, but. Certainly is a possibility. Uh, I think we could say it's a probability. I've been saying that for weeks. If that happens, do you think that people are going to be a little bit concerned about what could happen to them if they go forward and support Donald J. Trump? You think that may be something to consider here? Because I do. Because I do. I think there are going to be a lot of people who say, "Uh, what are my risks here? What's going to happen? Here is the attorney general for New York State, Leticia James, who is straight up threatening, like a mob boss, threatening prosecution of Donald Trump by her state when he leaves office. Play, uh, play seven. It's important to understand he is pardoned from federal crimes, but he is not pardoned from state crimes. Last year, I introduced a bill in the state legislature which would close the pardon loophole so that individuals such as the president of the United States would not evade justice. It's important that we have this check on presidential powers and in the legislature, the state legislature, I'm so happy they passed that bill and it is now the law in the state of New York. Um, president Trump cannot avoid justice in the great state of new york people have asked me should the president pardon himself i think the answer is yes what's what happens if he pardons if he writes a a preemptive pardon for himself and and his family members think about this what what what's the downside oh everyone's gonna scream oh look what he did he's a criminal they're saying that anyway there's no fair-minded person who looks at trump and look looks at what's going on right now and says yeah he'll he'll be left alone in private life They'll, they'll back off. Don't let him 
go you know go lead a, a quiet family life with uh, his kids and grandkids. And nope, no. We chanted "lock her up," and then Hillary evaded justice, even though she did break the law. They will go after Trump and they'll fabricate crimes. That's how they play the game. We we play you know two hand touch. We're playing flag football here in politics. They are putting on brass knuckles and hitting us in the back of the head when the ref is not looking. That's how they play the game. Unfortunately, I think we're going to get another another lesson in that here very soon. And they're going to they're going to go after people with prosecutions. They're going to go after people with the IRS. Oh, but they talk of unity. Remember that in, in their little self-congratulatory delusion. We just want the American people to unify. But remember, New York state charges, it is true. You, you can only pardon yourself from federal charges. You cannot, you cannot clear yourself, even as president, from state charges. And nor can he clear his family members from that. And they've been talking about this for a long time. Now, you might say, Buck, but can they really get him? I don't know. Can they fabricate a crime? They fabricated Russia collusion. But even if they can't convict Trump or any of his family members, they can certainly investigate them, hound them, go after them, harass them. I think Ivanka Trump just, what was it, a week ago, had, was, was deposed having to do with inauguration spending? What? Yeah. Do you think there'll be any, let me ask you this, do you think there'll actually be any federal criminal charges about the inauguration spending? No. No. no not, not against Ivanka, not against any of the Trumps. Not going to happen. Why? Well, they, they've got somebody in the DOJ who you know, wants to harass them. It's like it's auditioning for a, a bigger, better role in a Biden administration. This is what they do. It's it's appalling. Look, Trump is and I, I want to be very clear. Trump is not giving up the fight. He's he's staying in this till the absolute very end. I mean, I think he's going to fight this until. The day that the moving trucks arrive and God bless him. Why not? Why? Why pretend that everything is fine here and why pretend that the Biden administration in any way that these Democrats have acted in good faith, they put forward this quasi senile clown. And we're all supposed to say, yeah, you guys have the best interests of the nation at heart. Sure. I don't think so. Not going to not going to happen with me. I mean, I can't speak for anybody else. Here's the president, though. Just just letting everybody know and doing a little bit of trolling. Play 11. The next administration will be the one ultimately that implements a lot of the distribution of this vaccine and will oversee much of the future of the way Operation Warp Speed goes forward. Why not include members of the Biden transition team as part of this summit that you're hosting today? Well, we're going to have to see who the next administration is because uh, we won in those swing states and uh, there was uh, terrible things that went on. So we're going to have to see who the next administration is. But whichever the next administration is will really benefit by what we've been able to do with this incredible science, uh, the doctors, all of the people that came up, the lab technicians, the work, the work that's been done is incredible. And it will be incredible for the next administration. And hopefully the next administration will be the Trump administration. We'll see. But I like that. He still goads them and he's showing them he's not backing down one bit. They think they can tame Trump as he's in these weeks of December before what could be a presidential transition. And they're wrong. 
He's not going to back down. He's not going to give up. And what you see now is more and more reason to continue on with that fight, even, even if we don't win. We stay unified and we show the other side that we got, we got some backbone. We can dig in. We're willing to take this all the way, to take this to the mat. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, what the president isn't doing uh, is telling anybody, telling Americans what they should do in the meantime while we're waiting for this vaccine right. to be distributed to the general population. He is not communicating the message about what they should do to curb the spread of this. That's what Biden is talking about. Biden is talking about. You know, obviously darker terms, uh, obviously not putting nearly as much emphasis on the vaccine, but talking about the near term, the next few hundred days in which basically Americans still have to do a lot to protect themselves until we can get that inoculation. That's right. This is what you're going to be told every day from now until the end of January. We haven't been told enough. Do, do you feel like that? We haven't been told enough about Social distancing, wear a mask, wash your hands. I mean, here, here's the, a question that I asked yesterday on on Twitter, you know, before they they banned me. But he, here's a question that they ask on Twitter and, and that I asked on Twitter, rather. And I, I got to tell you, um, as I look at it, it's amazing to me how unself-aware so many people are. I, I said um, about this. COVID stuff that we're being told all the time. Um, I asked the very real question. Does anyone have an explanation of how it's possible? Mass compliance is the most widespread it has been all year in this country. But we now have more COVID cases than we did in March of 2020 and April after months of viral spread with no mask mandates and almost no public masking at all. And I said, please, Answer me before Twitter bans this question, because as we know, social media companies are run by idiot libs and they can't think for themselves. Okay, so what is the answer to this? What's amazing to me, and this tells you so much, is how many people respond to this with because it's blah, 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 you idiot. And there's a hundred different people with a hundred different reasons why I'm an idiot for not knowing what their approved consensus left wing Fauci seal of approval answer is. It's because people aren't masking up enough. Really? So so they didn't really think about the question very much, did they? We went from basically no masking in March and April. Very, very little, very intermittent here and there and certainly no mandates. We went from that to 80 percent, 90 percent mask compliance. And somehow cases and now cases are higher. Some of them were saying because cases are not hospitalizations and deaths, you idiot. Really? Hospitalizations and deaths are also higher. But you just go you go down this list because Europe figured it out and we didn't really. Germany just said it's all time one day death record from covid. Germany is a sixth the size of the United States. They had almost what was it? Five hundred 500 plus dead in one day. So it's, you know, two or 3,000 dead in one day in Germany if you made it a comparable to the U.S. population. Oh, and I thought the Germans figured out the whole thing. I thought the Germans had the answer. It was those dumb Trump supporters. It is so dangerous and so wrong 
for people to think it's okay to blame disfavored political groups in the United States and group in this case, half the country that supported Donald Trump. They're the reason for this virus. This is idiocy. There's no basis for this. And they can't answer these questions when you bring them up. And my favorite, of course, as I've said, is it's so obvious, you idiot. And then they they tell me something and I say, well, your other liberal blue check friend over here who believes in the science has a different answer. So which one of you is correct? And if it's a hundred different things, maybe it's not obvious, is it? All you have to do is ask the questions. You don't even have to take stands right now. Just just ask the questions you're not supposed to. And when you get unsatisfactory answers and you're told, shut up, peasant, do what you're told, you know exactly what you're up against. Anyone can observe that what the media, the left, the libs have been saying was going to save us. We can control this. We can flatten the curve. Clearly, that is not true. Clearly, it is called an observation of reality all around us. I know people here in New York who are getting COVID. I have friends in L.A. who have just gotten COVID. I know people all across the country are seeing cases and and hospitalizations spiking even more than they did the last uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. So this is now the, the so-called second wave that we're seeing, right? This is the second wave. But if we have gotten so much better with our PPE, we've got, and remember, we have better treatments for this now. So somehow the virus has spread more and it's spread more efficiently. OK, maybe there's a mutation that's led to the increased spread. We don't know. That's a real answer. I, I could handle that as an answer. But wear a mask like what Cuomo says all the time. That's not a real answer. I'm, uh, that's not me saying that it doesn't work at all. I'm just saying the reason that we have this huge spike in cases is not lack of mask compliance. That is madness. People are masking up all over the place. I know people who are very mask conscientious. They're sick or they've gotten sick. So what are they? Is it their fault? Oh, no, it's only a Republican's fault. When a Republican gets COVID, it's his fault. So when Rudy Giuliani gets COVID-19, the media says, see, he's reckless. But when Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, a big mask maniac, when he gets it and his wife gets it, it's, oh, gosh, it's a virus. I guess it can really spread. Gosh, this is real contagious. This is this is tearing us apart. We should be unified against this. We should be united as a country. This isn't this is an external enemy that is mixing in our in all over our society, this virus. And instead, people have used this as a wedge. They've used this for further division and they refuse to deal with what we can all see and observe. They are lying to you. And just asking them to explain themselves results in them saying that you are the liar. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We do have Jenna Ellis of the Trump legal team. She's on the front line of this whole thing. She's joining us now live. Jenna, thank you so much for calling in. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. So I I gave the audience a little bit of a primer on that the Supreme Court denied injunctive relief today, but that's not the same thing as saying, because I I have people text me, is it all over? Uh, No, it is not all over, but tell people what they need to know about Pennsylvania, and, and let's go through some of the still active legal challenges. 
Yes. Well, importantly, this is uh, Mike Kelly's lawsuit. It's not one of the Trump campaign's uh, lawsuits, even though obviously there are a variety of individuals and organizations that are very concerned about election integrity as well they should be, um, including the AG of Texas that filed um, a great case that we can talk about uh, that in, in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, late last night. Uh, But importantly for Mike Kelly's suit in Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court only denied what's called emergency injunctive relief, which basically he was asking um, the court to stay the certification of results pending the outcome of that case. And the Supreme Court denied that, but they did not deny the petition uh, for the writ of cert, which is the legal term, of course, for actually going in front of the Supreme Court and having them grant Uh, hearing the appeal. So the appeal is still pending. The case is still very much alive. Um, It's only that uh, injunction of the certification of results that was denied today. So all of the reporters need to correct their fake news headlines. Yes. Tell me this. Where where does what is the Trump campaign legal uh, situation in Pennsylvania specifically? You said that's Mike Kelly's case. What is your case? Right. So in Pennsylvania right now, uh, we had a uh, an appeal that went to the Third Circuit um, on a very narrow issue that was denied. We have not yet appealed that to the Supreme Court. We do have another case that's pending um, out of Pennsylvania. That was the one on all of the late ballots that uh, Justice Alito ordered uh, to be segregated out. Uh, That case has been pending for a couple of weeks in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, Whether or not it will be heard in unison, possibly with Mike Kelly's uh, consolidated, sometimes the Supreme Court does that. That's very possible in this instance. Uh, But that's the case that we have pending right now in front of the Pennsylvania or out of Pennsylvania. And of course, uh, we also have uh, the state legislature avenue where we have uh, had the hearings in front of state legislatures, including Pennsylvania, asking them to exercise their authority under the federal constitution to say for themselves, even without a court order. Listen, we look at what's happened in our states. All of the rules were uh, blatantly violated. We can't certify uh, false illegal results. And so we're going to take back uh, the method of selecting our delegates and make findings of fact and determine what slate uh, to move forward with. So that's been really uh, the route that Mayor Giuliani and I have uh, taken with these state legislators over the last uh, two weeks to encourage them uh, to exercise their constitutional authority because they're the last uh, stopgap uh, bef- to really be the voice of the people and to make sure that corruption does not reign in elections and make sure that they are the ones that step in and say, no, we're not going to uh, send a false slate of delegates to the Electoral College. We're speaking to Jenna Ellis. She is one of the lawyers representing the Trump campaign in these various lawsuits, try to get to the bottom of what really happened and what fraud uh, was at play in this election. Jenna, you mentioned this Texas lawsuit, though, from the uh, was it the Texas state attorney general. Can you please tell us about this? Because I don't think I mean, I, I know the media is not covering this stuff fairly, but I don't think they've even really covered this much at all. Yeah, which is actually shocking because uh, this is a huge thing that a state attorney general is suing uh, four other states. And so this is Texas that's suing four other states and basically uh, telling them that, you know, your state did not follow uh, the rules in your states for elections. And so this was an election official 
a violation of all of the state rules. And because of that, uh, then they're, they are essentially disenfranchising the rest of, of the American public uh, because uh, with a certification of false results based on illegal activity, then that would tip the Electoral College um, in favor of the candidate that didn't actually win. So uh, this is a huge lawsuit. It has uh, what's called, of course, original jurisdiction, where under Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution that contemplates the judicial branch, when a state sues another state, then uh, that does not go up through the traditional court route, uh, but is filed directly in the Supreme Court. So uh, this has bypassed uh, the rest of the lower court and uh, will be heard directly in front of the Supreme Court because it's not an appeal. Uh, they can't deny it. Uh, and even just a few minutes ago, we learned that the court, uh, the Supreme Court put this on expedited briefing schedule, which means that they know that this is a really important case to hear uh, before December 14th. Uh, that's the date, of course, that the Electoral College um, is anticipated to vote, even though we do have Supreme Court precedent in uh, prior cases and prior elections that really it's the January 6th uh, date that is the, of ultimate significance, is how the court put it. Um, ultimate significance that that's the date that the Electoral College votes are counted and certified by Congress. And so that's really the date that we're looking at. Speaking of Jenna Ellis, she is one of the lawyers for the Trump campaign. And uh, Jenna, tell us what what's happening in Georgia. The, the big least news story about all this had to do with the the uh, the box or the suitcase or whatever it was of ballots under the table and within 24 hours i was seeing everywhere it was you know the media was saying debunked and then also we've had this uh, secretary of state for georgia raffensperger who said it's all been counted it's been counted three times we've done the signature match What's going on there? Tell us what's true, what's not, and where your where lawsuits stand with regard to what happened in Georgia. Yeah, well, importantly, Georgia is one of the four states that Texas is suing. So that's Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Uh, but we also do have a Trump campaign lawsuit that's going through uh, the regular channels in Georgia uh, that, that's basically asserting the same thing, that, that Georgia election officials didn't follow their own state law. And because of that, uh, that resulted in an irredeemably compromised uh, vote total, and that certification is false. And so, you know, for this secretary of state to just say, well, we've recounted um, these illegal ballots multiple times, uh, that really gets you to the same false result. So we had to go through the recount process, had to go through some of that procedure, that fact-finding investigation before we could bring this lawsuit. But now with what we do know, um, especially with the witness affidavits that said that they were kicked out of that State Farm Arena around 1030 and they knew that ballots were being counted late into the night. Uh, they signed those affidavits uh, right after Election Day. And that video, far from being debunked, only confirmed exactly what the eyewitness testimony showed. I mean, this would be no different than in a criminal case, you know, someone saying that they were an eyewitness to an armed robbery. And then later, uh, right before trial, you find the video that confirms it. Uh, that's exactly what's going on in this case. And so for mainstream media that wants to just push this aside, say, you know, your legal challenges have failed. This is, uh, you know, completely you're out of time. All of these different excuses. They're just trying to ignore the fact that there has been such widespread official misconduct and that these results cannot 
be permitted to stand because this is so important to election integrity. And this is not just about President Trump or the campaign wanting to overturn election results. This is about wanting to make sure that the result itself is fair, it's constitutionally sound, and it's free and fair because that's what our Constitution requires of our elections. Can you tell us what is the status of the signature match because we've we, you hear different things about this in Georgia specifically. Yes. So the campaign uh, just as of last week, um, in fact, the day before we went into the hearing, uh, we requested through our local council for a fifth time this signature matching. So it hasn't been done. Uh, the governor Kemp, of course, has called for that, but for some reason won't uh, actually require his secretary of state to do that. So it hasn't been done in any way meaningfully, um, and it certainly hasn't been done on a level that would get to every legal vote being counted. And uh, the illegal votes, of course, shouldn't be counted. And that's what the Democrats are never willing to acknowledge, that only the legal votes that are cast according to the law of the state and ultimately the United States Constitution should be counted in any election. And so that so there has not been the signature match that you because because one area here and we're speaking to Jenna Ellis for anyone who's joining us here. And and she is a member of the Trump legal Trump campaign legal team uh, in and dealing with the various lawsuits in these states. Uh, Jenna, we, we see these things about X number of dead people voted and X number of illegal aliens are believed to have voted and people you say that now and everyone jumps that's actually the federal criminal statutory term for it right it's actually called the legal alien still folks believe it or not in federal law uh, but all these people that you know we see these numbers how do we get the proof how do we get to, to stand up and say here are people who are dead who voted and you guys don't have an answer for this you know what i mean we, it feels like we're waiting for that the allegations and the affidavits to turn into factual data about fraudulent voters. Can you dig into that for me a little bit? Yeah, well, we actually have that. And this is what's been so frustrating about being denied an evidentiary hearing um, on a court level. So, for example, our case in Pennsylvania uh, that we just talked about a few minutes ago, um, that's, that's now uh, at the Third Circuit, and they you know, denied that really narrow issue. Uh, what we appealed from was that judge that denied um, simply an evidentiary hearing. And he did that in a way that, and I won't you know, bore your audience, but he did that in a way that was actually uh, legally incorrect because he made a finding on the merit of, of, uh, of the case and on the evidence when no evidence had been presented in court at all. And so for all of the, the media and the leftist liberals saying, where's the evidence, where's the evidence? We haven't been granted an evidentiary hearing yet, and that's what's been so frustrating. But what we have been able to do is get hearings in front of these state legislatures and put on a sample and a very important uh, sample of our witnesses that we have, you know, 50 more. One that will testify um, to saying, you know, I saw these uh, these ballots come in or there were duplicative ballots or, um, you know, I was told by an election official to just go ahead and allow this person to vote when they didn't have an ID or um, their signature didn't match or some other thing that was against the law in that state. And so, for example, in Arizona, we know the data and we know the numbers. We know that 11,000 votes were an overvote in that state, meaning that 11,000 votes 
forecast more than there were uh, registered voters. So how is that even possible? And that just alone would change the outcome in Arizona. We know that 30 over 36,000 people who were those illegal aliens um, who were not eligible to vote under U.S. law voted in that election. Uh, we have the evidence to show that over 450,000 ballots uh, were duplicated and uh, did not show the actual intent of the voter based on all of the election officials who uh, who completely ignored the law in Arizona. So we have all of these facts. We have the witnesses. We have the data. Uh, we have the evidence. It's just a matter of being able to present that in court. And to have these judges um, try to just deny this based on some sort of procedural issue or really just trying to pass the buck and they don't want to hear these cases uh, should, frankly, outrage every American. And that's why I'm really grateful that Ken Paxton and Texas um, are now taking this case directly to the Supreme Court because this needs to be heard. If we allow election officials to simply disregard the law in their state, then they're overturning an election uh, within. And they're just saying, we're going to completely ignore the law in our state and we are going to uh, do whatever we want in the election for the outcome that we prefer. And that is not the rule of law in America. And I don't care if you supported President Trump or Joe Biden. You may like the outcome come a fraud this time, but I guarantee you that is not at all what you want to have as precedent because America is always built on a rule of law, not a system of rulers. Jenna Ellis of the Trump legal team. Jenna, before we let you go, and I know you are very busy, I just want to know what can the folks listening uh, expect from the team, you know, in broad strokes in the next couple of weeks? Well, we'll definitely continue fighting. So, I mean, I've been on the phone with the mayor, uh, Mayor Giuliani, and, you know, we're continuing to advance both of our parallel strategies, uh, both in the judicial branch as well as the state legislatures. Uh, Georgia has a hearing coming up this week, um, and we're very hopeful that they will push through that resolution, take back their delegates. And uh, we're also going to be watching uh, really eagerly to see what the Supreme Court does with this attorney general case. So I think there's still a lot of avenues. There's still a lot of fight left for election integrity. And uh, don't listen to the mainstream media. This is definitely not over yet. We're just getting started. Jenna Ellis, everybody. Jenna, thank you so much for your time and for your work. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. First, my first hundred days is going to require, I'm going to ask for a masking plan. Everyone for the first hundred days of my administration to wear a mask. It will start with my signing an order on day one to require masks where I can under the law, like federal buildings, interstate travel on planes, trains and buses. People are already masking. It's already happening. Everywhere you go, people are masked up. I don't even know what this guy thinks. I don't know what country he thinks he's living in. You can't walk. I can't see people outside on the street in New York City without masks on. But they just keep on saying it. Real masking has never been tried. It's like real communism has never been tried. So don't pay attention to the failures. Don't pay attention to what you can see yourself. Just keep listening. Just keep doing what you're told. That is clearly their plan. And it's just absurd. But there's also this other thing the Biden team and Joe Biden himself has been doing, creating this identity politics divide for with COVID and for COVID sufferers. Here's what I mean. Uh, we have to hear about, you know, there's this old 
old joke in journalism about how, you know, asteroid going to hit the earth and kill all life tomorrow. Women and minorities uh, hardest hit, you know, that that's left wing journalism in a in a nutshell. That's it's always oh, it's it's the word. Let's find groups, you know, that we we constantly are telling uh, our readership are victimized and get unfair treatment. And, and we always find a way to make whatever the issue is about how they're being victimized again. Here's Joe Biden telling us that this is he, he's separating us out by ethnic group. Play 13. Last week, COVID-19 was the number one cause of death in America for black, Latino and Native Americans who are nearly three times as likely to die from it. COVID-19 is a mass casualty. For families and friends left behind is a gaping hole in your heart that will never be fully healed. As a country, we've been living with this pandemic for so long, we're at risk of becoming numb to its toll on all of us. You know, we're uh, we're resigned to feel that there's nothing uh, we can do, that we can't trust one another, that we must accept death, pain, and sorrow. We're in the midst of this deadly pandemic, that has infected almost 15 million Americans. One out of every 22 people. I can't. In our enough of this. Enough of this, All- moron. I've had enough. Okay. Uh, why? I want to ask Joe Biden. Why? Why does it affect, as he says, Black, Latino, Native Americans at three times the rate? I, I'm, I'm asking that question. I'm, cur- I'm curious to know. I want to hear what they'll they'll yell at you and say it's so obvious, and then you'll get five different answers, ten different answers. Also, why doesn't he talk about the age differentiation? Because people over 70 are a hundred times at least at the risk of people under 40. Why does he talk about that? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly what they have been doing. And again, I think, unfortunately, the the Chinese effort here is much deeper than people in Washington are willing to admit. Listen, I can just tell you that intelligence agencies have made very clear to senators, and I know because I've seen the briefings, I've heard the briefings, I've been in them. They've made clear that the Chinese have a massive, sprawling espionage effort. They are trying to influence uh, senators. They're trying to influence elected representatives, mayors, governors, all of the above. They are actively trying to spy on elected officials and other Americans. We know with companies like TikTok, China is hungry for every piece of data that they can get on the American people, and they are leveraging every technology in that they have with companies like TikTok and others trying to pursue partnerships with American companies to try to gather that information on Americans. And unfortunately, what has D.C. done about it? Basically nothing. I mean, nothing. They've just looked the other way. This is why it's time to stand up. It's true. In fact, there are very powerful interests, including in the media, that have been working to downplay just the massive cyber espionage campaign that China has been waging against us for for decades. This has been going on for over 20 years now. Who will never know the full scope and scale of the information they've stolen from us. As I've said before, it is civilization shifting in its power and in the gravity of the situation. This is an enormous problem underplayed, not talked about enough, not pushed enough nearly in our own media because there are a lot of people that benefited from it. You know, think about this. If you're a content creator, you're a media organization. You want to be you want to get access to the Chinese market? Yes or no. Even if you can't get access to the Chinese market, do you want access to Chinese money in America? Chinese investors, you know, people coming up with 
all these different ways to infuse money into the system. I see even Georgetown University uh, is now coming under some degree of, of scrutiny uh, for the fact that there's a lot of Chinese money. There, there also is a lot of Saudi money there. I mean, these our university system, which is also a part of this uh, propaganda apparatus, our university system is doing everything that it can to get as much outside, as much foreign capital as possible. And a big part of all of this is for those countries that take that send these donations to know that they have influence now. That there's a, there are certain kinds of professors, certain kinds of programs they want to push. The Confucius Institutes set up all over the United States. These are these are Chinese efforts. You know, it's supposed to be about teaching the Chinese language, and it's all it's all meant to be in good faith and building bonds and relationships. No, it's infiltration. It's meant to steer our policy in certain directions. And I'm sorry, but we cannot let it go that for years the Democrats have been telling us that Russia is the threat. For years, Democrats have been telling us that we need to be worried about our primary competitor, the Russian government. And it's just not true. It was an obvious lie. So you have to ask, why would they lie to us in that way? Why would they make these claims? Well, perhaps it's because they were benefiting from it. Perhaps it's because Eric Swalwell, among others, have been compromised or even just been steered. Remember, influence operations don't have to be blackmail-based. Influence operations don't have to be about getting somebody to pass classified or break the law or betray their country. And I'm going to say this. The people that are saying that Swalwell, you know, they're, they're insinuating that he passed classified. I don't know if he did or he didn't, but we don't have any proof of that. And you're, you're really accusing someone of treason at that level. So we should be, you know, we're not them. We're not the other side. We're not the left. We don't just smear people and ruin them and, and de- destroy their character, destroy their reputations without evidence. Now, There is evidence that there was an influence operation run here and that Swalwell was at least steered by it and compromised by it in some way, that there was a Chinese spy who fled after there was an FBI investigation. She fled. We all think she was a Chinese spy and that she was a honeypot in the parlance of, you know, espionage, amateur espionage sleuths. Right. We all talk about this. And now people are bringing up questions about, well, if if, if Swalwell was targeted who else what other democrats that have always taken a a softer approach toward china what other democrats out there may have been pushed in a certain policy direction well swalwell what what, what's the classic move you know it used to be for democrats when you're caught and doesn't matter what you were caught doing if you were caught sexually harassing members of your of your media company staff right or if you were caught you know uh, in, in the newsroom you know, grabbing women from behind or something and, and you you were really in trouble. You know what you do if you're a Democrat? You say, oh, well, I'm going to do some introspection. I'm sorry if I caused any offense and I'm going to go after the NRA. What's the only thing? I mean, the NRA's had some trouble recently anyway of its own. So what's the only thing that's a, a better, more effective get out of jail free card than I'm going to go after the NRA? Oh, you all know it's the Trump team. I'm going to go after Trump. He's the reason for this. Play four. I can't talk too much about the details of the case, even though others may have violated their oath 
I'm not going to violate mine. But the Axios story made it absolutely clear uh, that no information was ever uh, shared, except, Jim, the people who did share classified information were the people who leaked this story. And to do that uh, against a critic of the president, they may think that they're going to silence me. They're not going to silence me. Uh, but what they are going to do is they're going to make others think twice when they're asked to sit down and provide defensive information about people like this. I hope none of my colleagues ever find themselves in the position that I found myself in, that I found myself in uh, by having to sit down with the FBI because someone who had helped the campaign was trying to do this. But I hope every person would want to help their country just as I did. Oh, yeah. Like, like a true patriot, of course. Not because he knew that if he lied to them, he was going to get in trouble. What do you mean? You can't trust the FBI? Oh, wait, I thought I thought they were just totally I thought everything was on the up and up at the FBI. I thought James Comey and Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and McCabe were just patriots, man. The FBI has got no problems, no politicization. Oh, now that a Democrat finds himself on the wrong side of what may be a leak, we're willing to throw the FBI under the bus suddenly and say, hold on, we can't we can't trust them. This is harming our national security. You know what really harms our national security, my friends? Being completely and utterly blinded to the threat of China because people in our elite circles are benefiting from it and there is an enormous corporate incentive and we want to work for corporations and get paid those big paychecks. We want to get their products. Enormous incentive to ignore what's going on here. This is the struggle that was right before our faces that really mattered and Swalwell was a chief Russia collusion and Russia treason propagandist. He accused the president of treason. And now he says, well, there's not evidence that I was a traitor. Gee, maybe you should learn a lesson here, Swalwell. Maybe you should live your life with some principle. Maybe it wasn't okay to smear a sitting president of the United States as a traitor to his country because it benefited the political interests of your partisan confederates. Maybe that was a bad idea. And he's, he's learning a, a lesson of his own here. But Eric Swallow, what, what a mediocrity. We have these people in politics. What you see now, the, the most clear unifying trait of those who rise in elected office uh, in Congress, and I, and I do mean this, you see it more among Democrats, you do among Republicans, but it does exist on the Republican side too. Uh, the, the unifying trait is just a total ruthlessness, and and moral malleability, whatever they got to do, they do whatever they got to say, they say we have all these stupid mediocrities who are elevated into high public office just because they'll do whatever they've got to do to get ahead and play the game. And I don't know. I don't know how we stop this in the system. The best thing I could think of is call them out and try to get as many people as possible to recognize what a bunch of clowns they are like Swalwell. I'm not even sitting here making all the cheap fart jokes that I could based on that interview. I'm not going to do that, but I could. Right. People are doing it because they see this guy swell as a joke. And now perhaps a risk as well as a joke. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. In just a few minutes, I'll sign an executive order to ensure that the United States government 
prioritizes the getting out of the vaccine to American citizens before sending it to other nations. Now, if necessary, I told you, we'll invoke uh, the Defense Production Act, but we don't think it will be necessary. So America first for vaccines that are being produced by American companies and that the American FDA has approved. That, That seems reasonable to me. Right. This is interesting to watch this play out because a government should have a preference for its own people, the people that the government is governing over just the global community. And some on the left are already saying, oh, what is this from Trump? Yeah, that's right. When you when you are the uh, the country that leads the way and creates these vaccines faster than anybody else. And this is an this is an enormous uh, coup for big pharma, which has gotten a lot of bad press in recent years, especially with all the opioid stuff over at Purdue Pharma, which I know is now gone. But this is the chance that we have for going back to our our lives. But I want to be very clear the way this is being rolled out now. And I don't mean the I'm sorry, I don't mean the way that Trump and the administration and and, and even the pharmaceutical companies are, but the way that this is being talked about in the media And the Biden administration, which is now assuming that they are in charge, um, they are doing this in ways that are concerning. Mandatory vaccination with this. If you are under a certain age, there is no reason for you to be forced to get this. And no one should be forced to get it. But if you're under a certain age, I mean, if you're under 40, are you going to get this should be like the flu vaccine. People that are at risk should get it. They should get it. People who are at very low risk, they, you know, they maybe, you know, it depends. You're going to make five-year-olds get this? Really? You're going to make five-year-olds get this vaccine? The state's going to step in and make people take this? If the state can make you stay in your home, make you inject something in your arm, there is a risk to any vaccine. We all know this, right? There is some risk, tolerable risk. Notice that, that there are some things that cannot be perfect, but that we understand are the best possible option. This would fall into that category for a lot of people, but it's not it's not 100 percent. The state has taken out of your hands the ability to make those risk mitigation and risk assessment decisions on your own. You're not allowed to do that anymore. Now you're told that you have to do whatever they say. Now you're told that you have to allow the government to inject something in your arm and your family's arm, this is going to be a problem. This is going to be a problem. And what makes me absolutely furious is the simultaneous campaign of even if you get vaccinated, you don't get to go back to normal. The restrictions, the masking, the social distancing, the lockdowns, those go away when we say they do. Oh, I thought this was about the science. I thought this was about making sure that we're doing everything that we can uh, to get back to normal as quickly as possible. Certainly doesn't feel like that, does it? Certainly doesn't feel like that's what's happening when you have people in this way who continue, continue to show you that they want to control you and they want to push these mandates and these lockdowns going much forward. And look at the clowns who are in charge. I mean, here's Governor Cuomo talking to Fauci. Ah, ha, ha. It's all it's all so funny, isn't it? Play 15. I think you have tremendous credibility, not just across the country, uh, but across 
uh, this state. And I think your voice on saying that the vaccines are safe uh, would be important. I said that as soon as uh, the vaccine is deemed ready and safe, I'll be the first one to take a vaccine. Uh, Maybe we enlist you. I'll do it with you. We'll do an ad telling New Yorkers it's safe to take the vaccine to, uh, to, you know, put us together. We're like the uh, modern day uh, De Niro and Pacino. You can be whichever you want. You can be the De Niro or Pacino, Fauci and Cuomo. I'll give you a friend. Who who do you want to be, De Niro or Pacino? Which one do you want to be? I love them both. I love them both. I don't want to insult one or the other. If I say one, I don't want to hurt the feelings of the other. Yeah. Who's the politician? Little bureaucrat Fauci loves all the attention and the celebrity and the power. Don't don't let the little I'm a little I'm a little grandfatherly guy. You know, I'm just here to protect you, to give you good advice. He loves this. This guy's been toiling away for decades. Nobody even knew who he was until this year. Really? I remember I interviewed him a couple of years ago about the flu and it was like the flu is bad. Don't get the flu. Wash your hands. Kind of like covid when he talks about covid. Wash your hands. Don't cough in anyone's face. He loves this attention and this authority and this power. And he is, is quoted as well this week as saying the vaccine's good, but the U.S. must overcome COVID-19 denial. I hate when they say this. I hate when they make up these stories because, yeah, they're making them up of people who their last words on their deathbed were, I wish I had masked more or I wish I had taken COVID more seriously. This is a lie. This is not what people are saying. All right. That's not people's last words. There, there isn't some huge contingent of Americans who think that COVID is all fake. There's no such thing as COVID. No one's actually getting sick. That doesn't exist. But this is a way of avoiding a much more important conversation because it's based in what's really happened. Let's look at Fauci's contributions to this pandemic. He told us not to wear masks at the beginning. That is a fact. He told us endlessly in the early days that hand washing was critical, which led people to wipe down their groceries led people to go around all the time with gloves on. Did that do anything? He said that test and trace would be essential. Yeah? How's test and trace working out? I've been telling you since May that there's no way, based on the caseload and logistics, we'd be able to test and trace a damn thing. Who was right, me or Fauci? Yeah. Test and trace uh, was essential, he said. And also, where was Fauci? Where was this voice of, of reason and science, as we're always told, When it came to the school shutdowns, where was that? Oh, yeah, he he didn't want to upset the Democrats. He didn't want to upset his future bosses in the Democrat Party in his mind. So he decided to be quiet on that. And where's the data on restaurants in New York City? New York Post column today asking that question. I'm wondering, does does anyone want to tell us how many people have we traced in with, with restaurants and infections? How many? Why isn't that number published? Why don't we know how many people got sick outdoor dining in L.A.? We have these test and tracers. Oh, you mean we don't have that data? Let's ask why. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So where are we in this continued fight for election answers and also What does the MAGA movement feel like right now? How are things going? We've got our friend Harlan Hill joining us now. He's a political consultant. He knows everybody inside the Beltway in D.C. You need to know connected to the White House and a good man, a good friend of mine. Harlan, thanks for joining. It's great to be with you, Buck. What are you thinking right now? 
Just give me where where are we in trying to get answers? I, I've been telling people about this. The YouTube censorship, YouTube now openly saying if you say the election was stolen, we're going to we're going to take you offline. You're done. And uh, we have yeah. people who are are jumping through hoops now to just try to avoid censorship. But Trump's not giving up at all. Harlan, what do you see happening? Well, uh, on one hand, I mean, this is going to impact a lot of people that we know, Buck. Um, there are legitimate concerns that should be raised in the court of public opinion. They should be investigated by journalists in this country. And unfortunately, the mainstream media has abdicated their responsibility as the fourth estate um, to chase down these legitimate cases of fraud. Um, and now, I, I, you know, there are so many businesses um, on the right who derive, uh, you know, a, a lot of income from their videos on YouTube. And, and, and now they're going to have to make the decision. Are we going to stand with our principles or are we going to to count out to the to the uh, tech oligarchs um, and, to, and self-censor? I mean, that's sort of the, the directive that's coming down from from Google is that, um, you know, these uh, conservative media outlets need to self-censor, uh, remove videos that are currently up or they risk um, demonetization and uh, uh, if not a total ban from from Google. It's it's an incredibly dangerous precedent. And uh, today it's the election results uh, that are under dispute. Tomorrow, what is it going to be? Uh, criticism of uh, the potential Biden administration? You know, where does this end? Um, and and, and that, that's the dangerous precedent, the slippery slope. I typically don't like using that term, but I, I think it's applicable here. Where are the the sort of hearts and minds right now of White House and and campaign staff that you're talking to about all of this? I mean, just, uh, you know, and I'm asking for obviously without attribution. But when when you speak to people who are either in this White House or who are were working on the and still working on the the campaign in some capacity, uh, what are their feelings about how this is going at this stage? Yeah, so I was actually at drinks last night with somebody from the White House. It's, it's very well placed um, with senior staff. And uh, listen, they still look at this as uh, a battle that's worth waging. They have not capitulated one bit. Um, they're not looking for jobs. Uh, you know, they're they're sticking with the president um, until there is a, uh, a declared winner in the outcome of this election, which t- to this point we don't have. You know, until the Electoral College confirms the outcome of the election, until the Supreme Court has the opportunity to weigh in, for instance, in this case that came up just uh, recent, just this week in uh, out of Texas, um, you know, they're going, they're, they remain loyal to the president. They're continuing to fight. They're trying to help where they can, where it's legally permissible um, in, in the legal battle. Um, you know, the campaign staff is still working over in Roslyn, Virginia every day. Um, you know, obviously Rudy and Jenna Ellis are... are are dealing with COVID right now, um, but but the, the overall legal team has 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 not wavered one bit. So listen, I still think there's a lot of fight here. We're coming up to some some critical dates. Uh, we're coming up to some critical inflection points in this in this in this battle. I think that the, te- the 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 case that Texas has brought to the Supreme Court directly to the Supreme Court to um, to to bar electors from Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin from casting their their votes. Uh, because they view that, um, that, that that there was an unlawful, uh, unconstitutional um, uh, change to the way that voting procedures were administered in the run-up to the election. Um, that will really, I think, I think that is a critical moment in this battle. You know, when the Supreme Court hears that, um, if there's a if there's a compelling case that's made before the court um, and they decide to weigh in there, that could totally change 
um, the trajectory and a lot of the enthusiasm we're feeling on our side of the aisle. Speaking of Harlan Hill, he's a political consultant and knows the ins and outs of what's going on inside the swamp very, very well. Harlan, you also understand the international consulting, international political consulting and and that side of things a bit. Uh, When you're seeing these reports about Swalwell and and Chinese uh, influence operations, why do people who, who don't follow this stuff and work in this stuff what do they need to know? I mean, how how common is it and how many what are some of the ways or, or some of the mechanisms in place for an incredibly wealthy and influential foreign adversary like China to buy people off and get Americans inside D.C. even, including up to on Capitol Hill to do their bidding? Well, I, so I can I can speak to this in terms of um, articulating how easy it would be in theory um, for a foreign adversary to to impact our elections. I, I haven't personally personally witnessed it, but you know, in, in, in this particular case with Eric Swalwell and the Chinese National, um, it's the, the, the primary driver in politics, as we all know, is money. And if you're able to put someone that is incredibly well-placed, that, 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 that networks actively, um, you know, using unlimited resources, with the backing of a, of a foreign power like China um, to build a network of fundraisers to push money towards particular candidates that you think would advantage your employer, uh, that's a really easy thing to do. Now, you can't have the direct flow of Chinese dollars from, from China uh, or from a Chinese national into a political campaign. That is, that is illegal. Um, but one thing that I, I haven't heard very much um, about recently, but I, I do think is at least in theory possible, is that some of these foreign nationals um, could be setting up um, 501c4s, different nonprofit organizations that do have the ability to run political advertising. Um, and their donors, their financial resources, the source of their funds for those organizations do not have to be disclosed by law. They don't have there is not it's not like a contribution to a political campaign, whereas to be filed with the FEC. That is not the case with a 501c4. So, Buck, it is very possible that in addition to what we know the Chinese are doing to influence our elections, starting all the way down at mayors and state legislators, all the way up to congressmen. Um, in addition to that, there could be a whole nother layer to this that I think should be investigated. Um, you know, some of the C4s that go out and support various different elected officials or candidates for elected office, um, those C4s, where is the money coming from? It's, it's, it's something, you know, if we view, we spent, we spent four years talking about Russian collusion and Russian interference in the election in 2016, and we came up with nothing. Um, but I would suspect, based on this story that we saw about Eric Swallow, there, there are many more cases like that. And there are many cases that, that could be far worse. Well, we're speaking to Harlan Hill. He's a D.C.-based political consultant and a guy who knows how this game is played. And, and Harlan, with that in mind, I know that you, you, people pay you for your advice and, and your work uh, on campaign strategy. And you know a lot of the people that do this. I mean, this is a there, there's it's a little bit of a network, right? People know other people and they, they all do these yeah. campaigns and yeah. they're the ones who are known in D.C. And whether it's a local congressional race in Montana or it's a governor's race in Florida, 
the D.C. consultants, you know, fan out and they're involved. How are you feeling from what you're seeing and hearing about this absolutely critical runoff in in Georgia for these two Senate seats? What what are you hearing and what, what can you give us about our prospects and, and the way this is being handled by the GOP? Yeah. So, I mean, we're actively um, helping in Georgia, um, not directly with either of the campaigns, but through a pack on the outside. And so we have access to some polling. And you know what? I think it's going to be very close. The Democrats are doing an incredibly good job of building out this grassroots campaign um, uh, to uh, have people from all over the country making phone calls, people flying in to knock doors, um, lots of volunteers. So they are building that out. And then they have a tremendous, a tremendous influx of cash that's dropping there. Now, I, I also think that we have to take very seriously um, the grassroots campaign that is developing on the right. There are a lot of Trump voters in the state of Georgia that feel like they were disenfranchised, that they were robbed, that their election was stolen from them. And so there are two camps there, um, and, and that bears on the polling. Uh, people that are just so so frustrated with the process and they don't believe in it and they're just going to stay home, and people that, they're, that are motivated even more to get out. Now, if I were talking directly to the campaigns, which I'm not allowed to do because we're helping a pack on the outside, I mean, I would say they need to wrap their arms around Trump even more than they've already done to make sure that those very dependable uh, far-right, uh, pro-Trump Republican voters that show up to every Republican primary, that show up to every general election, don't feel as though this election is going to be stolen, that they have a voice and that they have fighters in Purdue and Leffler. Um, and, and, and so, and, and I, you know, watching the, the rally the other night when President Trump went down to Valdosta, Georgia, um, to, to support both of those candidates, I felt like they could have done more. Um, and, uh, in fact, I think some of that bared out in, in the reaction of the crowd where there were some boos for both of them. Um, because I, I think that they expect I think that Georgia's voters, Georgia's hardcore Republican voters expected more out of these two. Is Georgia going to be in play going forward or was this a one-off you think this election? You know, it was in play back in 2018 too. I mean, it, you know, the, the margin of victory, um, it was very slim in the governor's race there. So, yeah, Georgia has become more of a swing state. As we've seen states like Pennsylvania and Ohio, Ohio for sure, Ohio is as conservative as Alabama at this point. Uh, that, it's, that's not reflected in their current governor, who is, who is awful. But, uh, but, but in terms of the rest of the state government, it is very, very conservative. Um, look at a state like Michigan that is, that is overall trending further to the right. Wisconsin is the same thing. Minnesota is in play for us. Um, you know, and so it's only normal with, with certain migration patterns within the country. Um, and, and then also as, as different age groups come of age, um, that, that there are going to be some, some shifts in the electorate. So yeah, Georgia is going to be a swing state moving forward. This is, this is not, um, a flash in the pan. Harlan Hill, political consultant, D.C. Harlan, before we let you get back to consulting and and helping to uh, keep pushing forward the values and principles that you and I share, give the folks some some optimism here politically. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, in a worst case scenario that we uh, lose the White House um, to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, uh, I think Joe Biden 
is going to capitulate to the far left of his party in terms of policy. Uh, he's making some concessions right now in terms of appointments to appoint people that are a little more moderate, uh, according to the, to, to the media uh, and, and according to progressives than, than, than they would like. Uh, that's a good thing, but it's a good thing for us. Let the Democrats go far out to the left. Let them go far beyond what is palatable for mainstream Americans. Let them try but fail to do some outrageously um, socialist, uh, you know, uh, borderline communist, in some cases, programs. Um, and in 2022, the Trump base of the Republican Party is going to fight back with a vengeance. And President Trump isn't going to forget the people that were loyal to him in this period of time. He is going to go around the country, leverage the hundreds of millions of dollars that he is raising um, for his new PAC to support uh, true MAGA candidates. And he is going to run the table in 2022. The midterms are always a backlash against the incumbent party. And we're going to be incredibly well-organized. We're going to be incredibly motivated. And we're going to have tremendous financial backing with a leader in President Donald Trump because he's not going anywhere. Uh, they will, will lead this party once again back to victory. Harlan Hill. Harlan, great to have you, my man. Talk to you soon. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The progressive movement in this country uh, is a very significant part of the Democratic coalition. Now, I know some of the folks in the Democratic establishment don't want to recognize it, but that is a fact. Uh, and in truth, if it wasn't for the hard work of a lot of progressive grassroots organizations who got young people involved in the political process, working class people involved in a way that we have not seen, uh, Joe Biden would not have won that election. And I think uh, that's pretty clear. And uh, my point has been from day one uh, that uh, those voices, that movement, uh, deserves representation uh, in the cabinet. Uh, and if your question is, have I seen that yet? Uh, no, I have not. I've seen some good appointments, uh, people that I like. I think people who are really, really smart, experienced. Uh, but I have not seen uh, people from the progressive movement, per se, uh, in that cabinet. Not a lot of progressives in the Biden cabinet picks. The burn. Bernie Sanders, we miss him. Where's he been all this time? I haven't seen him staring at people over his glasses, pointing his finger in their face in a while. But he's correct that this is not yet a, a highly progressive cabinet. But there's a reason for this. You see, and I, I wish I had better news about this, but... The Democrat plan, the reason that Biden even won their primary, the, the, the game they play is to present as moderates to people, present as moderates and then uh, govern as leftists. That's what's going to happen here. Joe Biden's going to be telling you about how I just want to get Main Street back and I want to. No joke. I want to. You know, I'm not kidding, folks. Uh. I'm folksy Joe from Scranton, you know, the whole thing. And then he's going to be like, you know, I just think, you know, we need federal funding for gender, you know, reassignment transition for eight year olds. And you're going to say, wait, what? 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 What happened? Yeah, that's how it's going to be. You're going to have full on 
left-wing policies when it comes to the culture war, when it comes to things like that. Economically, it might be a little less, uh, might be a little slower, because remember, there are very rich people who are Democrats who they want to keep their perks. They want to stay where they are. So the interests of the Democrat elite will limit the amount of real uh, financial revolution that will come in a Biden administration. But on those culture war issues, expect things to get very far left very quickly on those, you know, those issues of of activism that you see on the border, on open borders, on immigration, very far left. But they'd rather have Biden as the mouthpiece for it than have the Sandernistas running around talking about revolution. We're going to change this and we're going to change that. And we're going to ruin everything, but we'll be equal in our misery. That's what's going to end up happening. That's where this is all heading, if if they win. And we'll continue to fight. People have been asking me, what can we do? We're doing it. We stick, we stick with who we are, what we stand for, what our beliefs are. We find the like-minded Americans. There are, as we know, over 73 million of us who voted for Donald Trump. There's a lot of us out there, and we will withstand this leftist insanity. We will. You can you can be sure of of that one. But we have to stay in the fight. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email us. Follow me on the Instagram, on the TikTok. Before I get kicked off these things, please follow me so at least I can talk to you for as long as I can. That is the plan. And uh, producer Mark, what's going on in your world, man? Uh, literally nothing. It's snowing. Yeah, it's That's snowing here in New York City. Got quite a view of the city. It's already pretty, uh, pretty you know, ghost town out there on the streets, but um, at least now there's some nice white snow coming down. Although I have to walk the dog in this and she hates it. But then she, then she wants to go. She doesn't want to be outside in the snow, but she wants to, you know, do what dogs have to do outside, but she won't go out in the snow. So I bring her back inside and then she scratches the door. She wants to go back outside. And I say little to it's go time. And she's like, nah, you know, and I keep, we keep running in this circle. So I don't, I can't make, I can't change the weather for her, you know, but I try. It would be nice if you could. Yeah, I actually I actually saw a TikTok with a dog trainer, uh, this woman who said that most people, their dogs actually think that they that the dog thinks that it is above you in the social order. They're, they're pack animals and they the dog, because of the way a lot of people spoil their dogs, think that, you know, you exist essentially as like the beta to the dogs alpha, <laughs> which the more I like feed to Lou chicken that i pull apart with my own fingers and pick her up and carry her around like she's some 
like she's, you know, Cleopatra or something because she doesn't want to have to jump up on the couch. So she just whines until I lift her up. I realize, wow, she is the alpha. Yeah, I well, feed her. I take care of her. I do everything for her. And all I want is all I want is her approval in response. Yeah, you, the dog controls us. That's not the other way around. It's crazy. What do you think about it? You know, we view it as, oh, but I walk her around on a leash. Yeah, I'm I'm like, you know, her little servant who's taking her to where she wants to go and sniff. I feed her. And, and if I if she um, this dog is particularly a little princess, because if she doesn't like her, whatever it is, and I feed her the same stuff. I mean, I feed her actual fresh chicken. I cook it for her sometimes and she'll knock the bowl around with her nose. Her way of saying not good enough. And I go, oh, I'm so sorry. Maybe I can feed you bacon instead. I like, you know, this is what ends up happening, producer Mark. I think I'm whipped by the dog. Yeah. What if humans started doing that? Like just started putting their nose up against their plate if they didn't like the food? It would definitely cause a stir. People would yeah, know you didn't like for it. For sure. Yeah. Have you, when was the last time you sent something back at a restaurant? Have you ever sent something back at a restaurant? Oh, I can't remember ever doing that, no. Unless it's... I feel like I've had to have done it once. Everybody has, if it's egregious, but I really never want to. Yeah, it's been a long time. I've definitely sent back severely undercooked meat. Uh, that's the only thing that I'll say. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, if it's if it's cold and purple in the middle, I can't do it. I like it very rare, but it's got to be red color. It's got to be like a pink red. It can't be when the meat is purple, when it's black and blue. I've had that happen a couple of times. And I'm like, I know people Ugh. who like it that way. I know people ordered that way. I know. And I I don't understand <laughs> that. I don't get. But steak was hey, not meant to be sushi. To each his own. Look, the one thing I've just never understood about President Trump, how the guy orders his steaks well done. You know, I don't, I don't get that. You know, that, for a that man is with, a such, with such fine taste and so many things, you order your steaks well done. I, I don't I don't I don't get it. But, you know, hey. To each his own. You can order your steaks. Are they going to press charges against him for that? Is that why he's pardoning himself? They might. They might. He might have to get a, a preemptive, uh, well done. Plus, I think he puts ketchup on it too, which that may uh, that may actually be a criminal offense. If uh, you're above I'll, twelve, that's criminal. Yeah. It, although I will say there are there are exceptions to these things. You know, people will, will make fun of you if you throw uh, ice cubes in wine, in white wine, for example. But if it's a hot day, you throw ice cubes in wine. If it's not particularly good wine and you throw ice cubes in it, it really masks the taste a lot. So it's not a bad trick. If you're at a, if you're at a party with cheap white wine on a hot day, throwing an ice cube or two in there, it actually help. Basically turns it into like a wine spritzer, waters it down a bit. You don't do this with a nice wine, but I'm saying, you know, if it comes out of a box, which, hey, occasionally I drink some box wine. No shame in that game. So we'll see. You're not really a wine guy, are you, Producer Mark? I do like wine. I have a wine rack. Oh, you do? I do. Well, look at that. I thought you were more of a beer and a... Uh, Beer and spirits, fellow. So I, I, I prefer a wine and beer to spirits. Is Manischewitz a thing that people only really drink at bar mitzvahs? Is it like a celebration wine only? Yeah, Manischewitz is like a, a Jewish service type of thing, you know, holidays, stuff like that. It's right. terrible. So like, it's not, there's no one who's like, hey, I got a wine rack here, a Manischewitz that I'm keeping on. Uh, no, right. I didn't think so. Kosher I, wine is a thing, but they make much better kosher wines than Manischewitz. Oh, there we go. Yeah, because it's very sweet, right? Isn't it? It's kind of like a, uh, like a sugary wine. I don't think I've ever actually had it, but from what I know, it's very... You've never had... Look at me. I'm a, I'm a you know, a Catholic, and I've had Manischewitz. Well, because I just know it's so terrible, so that's why I don't drink it. Okay, well, there we well, go. Why would I drink something that I know is bad? Producer Mark hasn't had the Manischewitz. There you go. You learn something new every day. Barbara, 
Let's see what she's got on her mind. What can we do to change things? We sit by and watch the Democrats lie, ruin our communities by shutting us down. We watch business close, people out of work, so crooked, even steal an election. We watch, we can do nothing. It is frustrating. There has to be something we can do besides just vote. Democrats have proven they can alter even that. Barbara, I, I feel your frustration. It's, it's a tough time right now. It feels like we are, uh, we're being gaslighted constantly, because we, we are, and it feels like we've been, I'm just going to it feels like we've been outmaneuvered, you know? Remember, you can say the other side cheats and be upset about them cheating and point out that they're cheating, but if they get to win in the end because they cheated, uh, you've been outmaneuvered. You know what I mean? If, if they get the trophy at the end of the match, you can talk about the cheating as much as you want, but unfortunately it worked. And we may have to deal with that reality. Barbara, I do not have, you know, I can give you the inspirational, uh, the inspirational talk that I try to give myself every day about we stay in this fight because it's what's it's what matters and it's what's right. But I cannot promise you victory on this one. I wish I could. Uh, the president is still showing a lot of confidence publicly that he won and, and we're going to win and it's going to happen. And I know that that's necessary. It's, it's like if you're in a boxing match and, you know, you're the fighter. You, if, if you say, well, I can't win this one. Well, then you're definitely going to lose. Right. So so even if you're if you're probably going to lose maybe on points or a TKO or whatever, you got to go in there throwing everything you got thinking you're going to win. So I understand why the president's mindset is what it is. But for all the rest of us, it's challenging right now, Barbara. But we've got each other. We've got Team Buck. We can lean on each other. Um, one of the reasons I tell so many of you to please do follow me on social is that every time I post, people are responding and you can respond to those people. And those are, uh, you know, those are other Team Buck folks. Those are people that listen to this show and share your values. And there's a there's a sense of of community here from that. I know people have started friendships from listening to this show. I know people have gotten married from listening to this show. It's real. So, you know, reach out to those who share your values. And, and it's a way of staying in not just staying in touch with others. It's also a way of just keeping your sanity right now, given what we're going through and all the things that are happening. Joe, Merry Christmas, Buck, and Happy Hanukkah, Producer Mark. Oh, look at that. A culturally sensitive note from Team Buck. Thank you very much. Yeah. I've heard a lot of conservatives, including you, say that the virus protocols and mandates are driven by panic. I think a better analogy may be they are powered by panic and driven by corruption. Shields high. Thanks for being vigilant. Uh, yeah, Joe, that that works, too. I, I think that's accurate. I, I wouldn't disagree with you. Uh, there's there is a lot of panic in this, but there's also a lot of political gamesmanship behind behind this. There's a lot of of effort to. uh use this for the purposes of power and control. And I wish that were not the case, but unfortunately it is the case. PJ. Hey, Buck and producer Mark. I think with Texas suing these four states and the other Republican governors from other states uh, feel like this election was not fair in any way, shape or form. They should join in on suing those states as well and stand together as Republicans for fair elections the Supreme Court would look foolish if it didn't take up the lawsuits if more states stepped in. <clears throat> PJ, we'll see. Maybe, maybe Texas is the first of several, or perhaps even many. But this has not really gone our way so far, but that doesn't mean that it won't go our way. Uh, this is 
I know this week the Mark Kelly uh, lawsuit, uh, Congressman Kelly, I believe it is, who brought it uh, in Pennsylvania. The Supreme Court, 9 nothing said they will not give injunctive relief. And so that means they're not stepping forward and saying immediately you must stop this thing, these these certifications and this election process where it is. But that doesn't mean that there cannot be challenges heard along the same lines on the merits. So we continue to focus in on this. Um, Let's see. Next we have. Caroline, sweet Caroline. It's like I'm drunk on SoCo and Lime shots at a frat bar at 2 a.m., Mark. I would do anything to do that right now. I will tell you this. I I, I became an, an anti-crowded bar, anti-crowded restaurant guy in my 20s because I spent so much time in them in my 20s that in my 30s, I really am like this curmudgeonly old, well, this is not surprising people, this curmudgeonly old fellow who just wants like quiet and good food and no one to bother him when he's at a, at a restaurant or public place. Uh I would now I would love to go to like the the Joshua Tree or uh, Mercury Lounge or some of these places that are just full of recent college grads in New York City and just start. I I would drink kamikaze shots. I will drink, you know, sex on the beach. I will. I will. These ridiculous concoctions that that people who are 21 or 22 will have. I'll do it, man. Just to just to feel alive again, <laughs> just to get after it. Yeah. So, Before yeah. quarantine, I absolutely hated going out, but now I'd gladly go anywhere. Just for yeah, fun. I know. I just just to be around. Can you imagine just to be around people? Yeah. Be around human beings in a large congregation where they're trying to socialize and maybe even have fun. Yeah. What a novel concept! Crazy world. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call and returning to Sweet Caroline, because I did get distracted by by her very name and started thinking about my old glory days. Single man buck running around New York, D.C. in his 20s, getting uh, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit tipsy. The Buckster back in the day. Gosh, I don't even. Producer Mark, how much drinking have you done during during the lockdown? I mean, I, I think I've I think probably I have two glasses of wine a month on average. Like uh, not a lot of drinking. right Yeah, now, not a, not a heavy amount. Yeah. Occasionally the wife Good. and I will share a bottle of wine. Yeah, well see you you got the wife, you live with the wife, so that's nice. It's just share, that's the way to do it, share a bottle of wine. I'm I'm up solo a lot. Even Snow Princess has got business school, she's busy with things. So it's just me and the dog, and I could not give my little princess Tulu uh could not give her any wine. That would be that she would get that would yeah. be bad. I, I don't yeah. think she would like that very much. She wouldn't even drink she wouldn't drink it. She'd so, be like this first of all, this is peasant swill. You know, and she would spit it back at me and say, what is this nonsense? So. I have seen a couple of TikToks about dogs accidentally uh, ingesting edibles with uh, use your imagination in it. The dogs yeah. do react hilariously and really? it doesn't hurt them. So really? Yeah, I was I'm not recommended to do it. Obviously, no, no, I know you're not recommending, but you're saying it does happen. It does happen. And it's, the dogs are hilarious when it does happen. Alrighty. Caroline asks, you've asked why various Republicans are not willing to allow investigation of election fraud. I think the answer is fairly obvious. They're afraid of blowback. We're dealing with an opposition that is not afraid to riot, burn down cities, and yes, even personally show up at the homes of elected officials. We witnessed these terroristic tactics over the summer with BLM and Antifa. Caroline or Caroline, I guess you say it either way. I, I think you're I think you're correct. I think that that is a consideration. I've been saying this about the judges 
And that's why, and, and I know, look, I, I hate saying things that my, my beloved audience is going to, you know, bristle at a little bit. But I've been telling you, even if on the merits, legally, some of these cases should go forward and should be a, a judgment that goes in favor of Trump, I, I think that there are judges who are who are afraid. It's not even that they don't see the Meriden lawsuit. I think they're scared. They're scared of their reputations. They're scared for their families. They don't want an angry mob outside their house threatening them. And, they, you know, if they shut down these cases, they'll be you know lionized in the press. They'll be treated like heroes. But if they find in favor of Trump, they'll be treated like an enemy of democracy. They'll be treated like they're a threat to our republic. All this, all this stuff. So yeah, yeah, I do think that that's I do think that's a, a real consideration, Carolyn. I, th- I think you're spot on. Brandy, hey Buck and Mark, King Inslee declared our tight lockdown will continue till January fourth. It's not working to reduce numbers, so we need to continue. Not sure how he can even believe in what he's saying. Well, that's the Washington State update. People around here are getting pretty fed up. Our outdoor tree lighting ceremony was canceled, so our people, uh, our, our little community, organized a caroling protest with lights. Thanks for all you do to keep us informed, and Merry Christmas. Yeah, Jay Inslee is a moron, but uh, he is the governor, so you got to deal with it, I guess. This is the way it is. I don't know if he's any worse. I don't think he could be worse than Cuomo. Mark, you gotta, I, I, you know, you gotta go out and get drunk with the Blasio or Cuomo. You have no choice. Who do you pick? Oh, I guess Cuomo because I hate him slightly less. Yeah, I feel like Cuomo would start dropping a lot of f bombs and get crazy. Yeah. So at least there'd be that. Whereas De Blasio just being, ah, I think I'm a little tipsy. I need to go home early. De Blasio just is the yeah. worst. De Blasio seems like he would be insufferable in any social setting. Yep. Even if even yeah. if he De Blasio would be boring, even if he got wasted on Soco and Lime shots. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, Steven. Hey, Buck. As it happens, it's illegal to take pictures or video inside of a polling place during an election in Wisconsin. That part of the state law would have been changed as well, period, for that reason, uh, body cams, I don't think, would be viable in election setting. Yeah, see, Stephen, this is the thing. I, I, you know, you got all these states with different rules and regulations. I think there should be, you know, video of all the polling, polling counting areas. Why not? Well, what's the problem? Well, why Sunlight, disinfectant, right? All that stuff. But team, just we're going to get through it. We're going to stay in this fight. We're going to get through it. We're going to come out the other side. There are better days ahead. In the meantime, you've got your orders. Shields high.